So most of you uh, know who Kevin Corcoran is. He's a philosophy professor. Uh, you may also know, uh, as my husband does, know him from the gym. Uh, so if you don't know him that way yet, totally go to the gym. Check him out. Also, it's good for you. Stress reliever. Uh, Kevin, is, uh, Kevin and I got to know each other because we were both involved in passports. Did any of you were uh, doing the passport skit where we were both in the passport skit? That was a few years ago. You may be a senior if you have any member of that. But we are willing volunteers for passport, and uh, he was a very willing volunteer for his testimony night. So let's welcome Professor Corcoran up. Thank you for being here. Oh, it's my pleasure. Yeah, we're really, really grateful. And you've got a story to tell, and then we're going to talk a bit about it. So you, get, you just get to go tell your story. <laughs> it's a sad story. Um, I, I think it has, a, it has a great ending, um, but it's a sad story. So in 2005, um, I lost my best friend from college to cancer, to brain cancer. And um, his name was Sam, and Sam and I met when, I, when we were both undergraduates, um, before you guys were born, I think. And um, Sam was about five or seven years older than I was. He had lived a really interesting life. He taught English in Japan, and... Um, he was in television in L.A. and um, came back to Baltimore, where I'm from, and was going, to, was going to college. Sam was of Jewish ancestry, but um, his religious sort of orientation was more, was more Eastern. I mean, he was more Hindu, Buddhist, but I, I guess at the end of the day, he was very much a pluralist who thought that um, really no particular religious tradition has the truth. And I was a theologically conservative evangelical. Um, and so we were radically, radically different. And it was one of those remarkable... Uh, I mean, there's no other way to describe it. It was just a, a, a grace-infused gift that God surprised me with in this, um, what turned out to be a 17-year really deep friendship. We talked about, um, you know, all of the big questions and God and other, you know, different religions and the possibility of incarnation and what human beings are. And we relished it. I mean, we really, we were radically different, had radically different orientations. Um, and then in 2005, I, I don't think I had a cell phone in 2005, if I'm not mistaken, because I remember there was a, I came home from work, I was teaching here, and there was a, a, a message on my answering machine. And I hit the message, and it was Sam. Oh, I should say, too, that Sam, um, he was just a beautiful human being. He, everywhere on my educational path, Sam came to visit me. So um, when I was at Yale, Sam came out to Yale to spend a weekend, and he was like a kid in a candy store. Um, 
And when I was at Notre Dame, he came to visit, and he came to visit me here um, at Calvin. But his message said, um, my doctors just took a look at um, some pictures of my brain, and it's not good. I've got glioblastoma, and it's, it's not good. And um, I was devastated. And it was literally nine months from the diagnosis to his demise. And even though I was here, I did get a chance. I would talk to him regularly, and I did get a chance to see him before he, before he passed, like four days before he passed. I went and visited, came back, and it was, maybe it was three days, and he had, he had died. And it was, um, it was awful to see, and my dad, by the way, died from brain cancer too when I was four. Um, and it was just a painful, painful experience to watch this guy that I loved uh, be ravaged by this tumor. I mean, it, it stole his memory. It, it, it just ravaged him. He, the last time I saw him, he was unrecognizable. He literally looked like a non-human animal. It was, it was awful. Um, that's the story. Um, and there's no happiness there, but there's happiness down the, there's happiness down the road. But it was in the, it was in the midst of dealing with that, that, um, in that, in the midst of devastation and what I felt like was a kind of abandonment, divine abandonment and deep, um, bafflement and perplexity and anger and I had a lot of questions for God and um, not a lot of answers. What were your questions like? Well, I mean, I, I, I loved this guy and I'm human and God loves him and God loves him much deeper and wider and in every conceivable way than I do. And if I could not stand to watch this tumor ravage him, and if I had it within my ability to rescue him from that and restore him, I would have done it in a heartbeat. So why wasn't God doing this? And um, God didn't, God seemed absent. And I wanted to know. I never doubted in that time whether God existed. Um, that wasn't ever a question. But I wanted, I wanted God to be present and God was absent. And I wanted God to give me some answers. Um, because I believed, and I still believe, that um, if I ever allowed my one of my children to suffer anything, I would have a really good reason <laughs> to allow them. And so I figured, and I still believe, that God being a moral being, the God of the universe, God has some really doggone good reason. Um, but he wasn't telling me, and, um, and I wanted to know. So it was, uh, my questions were, you know, where are you? And, <laughs> why aren't you doing anything, and, and why? Mm -hmm. why? Why 
why this, you know, why this individual? And yeah, it didn't make much sense to me. Mm -hmm. still doesn't. So when you were in this season of uh, divine abandonment, big question asking, the biggest questions that we all ask, what did other people do in your life that was helpful to you? That's a great question. Um, I think the, the biggest gift that I was in a small group, um, and I was teaching at Calvin College, and so I was surrounded in every area by um, honest people, authentic people who, who understood curiosity and questions, and the biggest gift was um, permission to ask the questions and to have the struggle. No one in my life um, tried to dissolve the questions or dismiss the questions or sort of give me platitudes. They, they gave me the space to struggle and I, I, I desperately... Now, you know, it's... I don't think God made us to walk alone in anything. Um, and I was not alone. Of course, you know, a lot of the burdens that we carry and that I was carrying there, no one, I mean, it, it's, it was very helpful to, car- to carry it alone in the group of other people. They couldn't carry it for me and they did, it wasn't an existential mm-hmm. um, plight for them as it was for me. But the biggest gift they gave me was sort of permission and a blessing of the struggle and the perplexity and the bafflement and they didn't try to explain it away or or you know try to dissuade me from asking the questions or having the struggle that was huge Mm -hmm. i think that's our temptation when we have a friend who's going through deep sorrow asking the big questions Um, we've been doing that as a community this Uh, since Tara's death, since the deaths of other students and people that we love. Some of you have lost parents and siblings. And the temptation is, I've got to solve their problem. I've got to give them the right answer. Um, And so uh, one of the things we're doing in these testimonies is learning how to be community for each other and creating safe space for someone to ask the question without having the urgency to answer it. Um, That takes a lot of discipline in the community's part, too, to let somebody be there. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, I, th- I, I totally get the, the urge to want to solve problems, um, but you're right, I think the, the gift is, to, I think, to recognize that, um, you know, God is really big, and, you know, the, that the, the person, myself in this case, was was struggling on a really um, pliable, um, safe trampoline of, of, of sorts. And that the struggle isn't going to lead to abandonment. The, str- the struggle isn't, a, the struggle isn't a, in opposition to faith, that the, the person isn't losing their faith. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a part of their of them holding desperately onto their faith and, and kind of making their way through as haltingly and maybe goofily and, you know, 
badly sometimes as, as, as we do, but I think when we, ha- when, we, when we have the temptation to want to solve, we have to remind ourselves that um, maybe what they, what they need is just companionship, and they're going to be okay. They, I, am not, I, am, I am not God, and I can be a comfort to them, I hope, but I'm not going to solve their, their problem, probably. Mm-hmm. So in the years since... What is that uh, intense experience? How is, what are the ripple effects in your faith from that time? Well, I mean, it's taught me a lot. Um, I grew up in a big family, and so I, um, my, my mom, if any of you had me in intro, you've heard this story before, but my poor uh, grandmother had 15 biological children, starting when she was 14 and ending with my mom when she was 46. Mm. That's a lot of, that's a lot of... That's a lot of... of, That's a lot of... That's a lot of everything. And my dad had eight siblings. So, um, I, you know, honestly, I was surrounded by funerals. People were always, were always um, dying. But, but, you know, losing my dad when I was four, um, you know, that was a long time ago. And I, it, 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 it's, it shapes me now. It's, it's a wound that I will carry to my grave. Um, I didn't ask for it, and I wouldn't have chosen it. Um, and it, it's maybe shaped me in some ways that are good, and in some ways, you know, I have deficits, I'm, I'm sure, be, because of it. And the same thing with, with Sam. And it's similar, you know, I was four, so my struggle with, with my dad's death has been... Um, my whole life, probably, and Sam is more recent. But um, but what it, what the ripple effects are, um, probably primarily that, um, and it came up in one of the one of the songs we were singing. Actually, we we really are. I am waiting. I want I want God to answer my questions, and I want God. I want to. I want God to be present. Um, but God, um, there is an element in the scriptures. There, there's, a, there's a great line in one of the Christmas carols that veiled in flesh the Godhead see. And if we think about the whole idea of incarnation, of God really, he's hidden in plain sight. He's, he wraps himself in human skin and people have no idea this is, you know, this is God incarnate. Um, so God is some, and Jesus on the, you know, on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So even Jesus felt abandoned, experienced sort of divine abandonment. Um, the ripple effects are, I'm a, I'm, I am a person, a, a Christian, um, in waiting, and I'm, I'm, I'm expectant. And I'm hopeful. I don't wait without hope. I am very hopeful. But in this, in this patch between God's coming to us and Jesus and Jesus being resurrected and our own resurrection, it is, I would imagine, very much like, you know, the three days that the disciples went between the death and Jesus' resurrection. I'm oftentimes baffled and confused and perplexed um, but I'm, but I'm really 
hopeful because I, I know I know I know that God is gracious and good, and I know how it's going to end, and I know it's going to end in joy, and I I and that kind of gives me sort of sustaining grace to to keep going, and it's humbled me. I I I um I want answers, but. And I think there are answers, but I think that they're beyond me, that God has reasons, and, and that I'm just, I just, as a finite, fallible human being, I don't have access to. And so it's, it's actually, in a strange sort of way, it's, it's the ripple effect is sort of an increased faith. And, and I kind of I took hope or comfort in... Um, in the book of Job and in Ecclesiastes, because in the book of Job, Job, God never tells Job to stop when Job is, is wanting answers and taking God by the collar and demanding answers. He never gets them. But God never disciplines Job and says, no, 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 you, you stop that, don't do that. That was comforting. And in the and the book of Ecclesiastes was was a real source of comfort in a strange sort of way too, and and really kind of was a buoy for my faith, because I kind of read the book of Ecclesiastes against sort of the backdrop of like wisdom literature, and if you read like some of the Psalms and some of the Proverbs and other bits of wisdom literature in the Bible, you can come away thinking that God is pretty calculable. You know, that you, it, there's a recipe, and right. you reap goodness, you will sow. I mean, you sow goodness, you will reap goodness. Um, if you sow righteousness, you will, you will flourish, and there's a pretty easy logic to it. And then in the book of Ecclesiastes, it's like the, the writer kind of looks out at the world and says, uh-uh, you know, I see the wicked flourishing and the righteous suffering, and I don't get it. And, um, and that was, you know, that was, that was me, and that sometimes still is me, and it, it really, but it's okay, because God is, I know, I know who God is. I don't know ever, I don't exhaustively understand God, never will, I don't think, even in heaven, but I know this, God, God loves us, God's gracious, God's merciful, and God is working toward, um, God has a program of universal reconciliation and restoration and redemption, and it's going to have a, a great ending. It's going to end really well, and, and that kind of, I learned that. And in the meantime, I've got to be humble and wait, and it's really hard to wait. It is. I'm thinking about um, Sam and his beliefs, and many of us love people who don't believe the way that we do, yeah. and um, I know some of us live in fear of getting that phone call that this person is gone, and yeah. we haven't seen fruit of the many conversations, and so for those uh, among us for whom that could be a reality, how do you? Whew. <laughs> well... Back in 2005, when Sam died, and I literally had just come back from burying him, 
I got a call from the alumni office and they, they, they said, we want you to write a thoughtful and reflective piece on a difficult topic for the spark, the Calvin spark. And I was, I was, I was um, wrestling with what happens to this guy that I love. Um, is he lost forever? Um, is he damned to hell forever? What, what's the deal? And um, so I thought, okay, I'm going to write. I'm going to write about this. Um, and it was basically sort of a piece of spiritual autobiography, is what it was. It wasn't a philosophical treatise. It was sort of my basically doing there what I'm doing, what I'm doing here. Um, and I don't, I don't know the answer to that to that question. Um, but I, I, I was, I'm moved by this. I could not bring myself ever to erase that message off of my answering machine. Hmm. I still have the answering machine, and I haven't listened to it, but it's, it's, it's there. I can't, I can't get rid of it. It's, it's sort of like I've got sweaters in my closet that were my dad's. Um, I, I can't, I cannot, they're kind of sacramental, really, and I can't, get, I can't get rid of them. And so, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I, I, I hope, and I have found myself praying that eventually um, he will be reconciled to God through Christ. Um, I don't know that that, I don't know. I don't know what, I, here's what I know. I know God is good, God is gracious, and God is merciful. And I know that this thing, this story, this drama that we're all caught up in ends in glory and ends in joy. And I sort of take my place there, mm-hmm. but I don't know. Yep. I, can't, I can't say that I, I know he is damned forever. I can't, I can't, I don't know that. Um, I, I hope that's not true, but I don't know one way, one way or the other. Right. Yeah, we actually don't know that about any of us. Yeah. yeah. But I do know that, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And I know that this crazy, goofy, ridiculous, some, just sometimes utterly baffling story, I know how it, I, I, know, I know it ends in glory. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for me, it's Sam, um, and that's a personal, that's a personal thing, and, but yet, you know, this, in the last five years, a half a million people have been killed in Syria, and five million have been displaced, and, um, you know, we're pretty comfortable, and we only look at it as much as we want to, or it's, it's voiced on us. And that's a, that's a part of the drama that is, that is gut-wrenching and confusing and sickening. And, um, but I will, there is a solid rock <laughs> that I stand on and, and I'll do what I, I, you know, in that situation, I, there are things that I can do and am doing, um, small as they may be. Um, but I know how the drama ends. Mm-hmm. Yep. So... If you were to give one last word to our students around engaging with uh, 
deep suffering and an inscrutable God? I think the biggest thing is to, to real, and if you can be surrounded by people who actually believe this, all the better, but if not, try to, try to remind yourself and convince yourself that the, the opposite of faith is not struggle and doubt, that those are not opposites, those are not in conflict. You can be a person of deep, deep faith um, who struggles mightily with doubt and confusion and bafflement and depression or whatever. They are not opposed. I think we might hear oftentimes from different places a different, a different story that, mm -hmm. you know, that if you, if you have questions and if you are struggling, you must not have faith. And that, I think that's a lie, yep. and it's a, it's a debilitating, terrible lie that I don't want you ever to believe. True. Yes. Um, you've referenced Job. You've referenced Ecclesiastes. Is there another passage that you uh, would like to hand off to us? We've been passing down Scripture as uh, things as resources for times of struggle and wondering. Well, this isn't, uh, I mean, there are, there are classic verses that, you know, from the scriptures that we can go to to give us, to give us strength. Um, there's a, there's, this might, might seem like a funny passage, but, it, but it, it, it does mean something to me, and it has always meant something to me, and it is from Ecclesiastes. <laughs> and it says, um, with increasing knowledge comes increasing pain or with increasing knowledge comes increasing suffering. And, um, and that's, you know, that's God's word. And so maybe even the deeper we go into faith as a kind of knowledge, the more suffering we will maybe experience and the more doubts we might, we might experience. Mm -hmm. And if the biblical writers live there, uh, I, we can. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yep. Let's pray for Kevin. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to Kevin. Thank you for the community of people who surrounded him and gave him space to ask hard questions and not try to rush in with answers. Thank you that he reminds us that there are a lot of things that aren't solvable, even by really smart philosophy professors. And it's okay to wonder and say, I just don't know. Thank you that you are a God who loves us and that indeed our story does end in glory. And so in this season of waiting and wondering and struggling and doubting, thank you for being the God who sustains us. Thank you for being the God on whom we can build our lives. May we do so day by day, more and more, with each other and for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's thank, thank you. Professor Corcoran. Thank you. as we were talking about uh, tonight, another verse that Professor Corcoran sent to me was this little one from Isaiah 45, 15. 
and it says, truly you are a God who hides himself. Isaiah 45, 15, truly you are a God who hides himself. And we get that, don't we? It certainly feels that way a lot of the time. When I was a kid growing up in church, there was this hymn we used to sing called God Moves in a Mysterious Way. And it was such a good thing to sing from time to time because it was like, yeah, he sure does. Yes, he does move in a mysterious way. And this passage um, from Isaiah actually comes because God is moving in a really mysterious way. He says to the Israelites, this is what I'm going to do. You're enslaved right now to a foreign king, but here's what I'm going to do. I've got this other foreign king named Cyrus, and he's going to come in and knock off your current foreign king who's ruling you, and then he's going to rule you, but he's going to let you go back home. And they were like, really? How is that good? How is that in any way helpful to us? Why can't you let us go home and then have a ruler who's like from the Davidic line, like a Davidic king? That would be awesome. And there's this debate back and forth because God says to the people, like, you know, ah, uh, does the clay say to the potter, hey, I don't have any handles, what's going on here? No. When a woman's in labor, do you say like, hey, what are you doing there? What's happening? No. You let the process happen. He says, I'm the one who's in charge up here, and this is my plan. And they, they, just, they just throw this line out, like there's this debate, and they just go, Tch. truly, you are a God who hides himself. And the passage is bracketed by discussions about idolatry. Because when they're dealing with a God who is inscrutable, who's hidden, who's mysterious, the response is to say, this God is quite hard to manage, so I'm going to find a God that I can manage. I want a God that I can, like, you know, put in my pocket. Or I want a God I can put in the corner of my house, and then I'll light a candle to it, and it will just stay right there. That's much easier to deal with than this God who's out here doing the stuff. And we do the exact same thing. When life gets a little too much and it, got, it seems like God's out there doing the stuff and we don't know what he's up to or where he's going, we want something we can control. So when life gets a little crazy in some areas, we try to tighten up things in other areas and we really start to focus on our academics. Let's study, let's study, let's study some more. Or we don't study, but our room gets very clean. <laughs> or we begin to really watch what we eat or we don't eat. Or we start to work out a lot or not work out at all. And we try to control all these aspects of our lives and these things become these little idols, these little pieces that we can control that will get us acclaim in other ways because this God out here is mysterious and hidden and inscrutable and we just can't figure him out. We have one big advantage that the people of Israel did not have. And Professor Corcoran mentioned it. We actually have a God who has revealed himself in Jesus Christ. He has actually taken on flesh and become one of us. And, and as he said, can you imagine like being in the marketplace and like you're waiting in line behind Jesus and he's buying some fish or something? You're like, come on, stop talking with a person. Stop caring so much about the person. I just need to buy some fish, right? And not realizing like, Yahweh, great I am right here. Right? 
He just he was revealed in flesh. And I think when it comes to the big questions of faith, when it comes to the big questions when people we love die, when we have questions that aren't answerable on this side of glory, our temptation is to just kind of throw it all up and manage and get by on our idols. But in those seasons, that's when we need to turn to Jesus. So you're in a season when you got a lot of stuff to do, there's a lot of stuff going on. And some of you are realizing you should have maybe done more maybe a month ago. And you're starting to feel like, I'll never get this done. I'll never do it. I don't know. Why doesn't God help me? Why doesn't he do it? Well, I don't know. I don't have a job. I don't know what's going on. La, 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 la. And we can get in that space very easily. La, 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 right? <laughs> right? You know this space. I can tell you know this space. So let me give you a challenge. Tomorrow is the 1st of May. The month of May will be full of stress and it will be full of incredible relief. It will come. <laughs> but let me challenge you to start reading a gospel. Just read. Start with the gospel of Luke. Just start reading your way through for the month of May. Because it's really easy to fall into God is hidden and he doesn't care about me and he's far away. And when you read the gospel of Leo, you'll remember that God comes close. That God reaches out. That Jesus knows you by name, Sean. <laughs> and he reaches out and he touches you and he loves you. Jesus was somebody who touched people a lot and healed them. And he knew exactly where they were broken, even if they didn't know they were broken there, and he would just touch them. And sometimes there are people who so believed in him that all they had to do was come up and touch his cloak. And it worked. Because he was on earth, he was sent to earth to be revealed as Yahweh God right here among us, creeping us out a little bit every now and then. <laughs> So whenever we get amped up and life seems a little too much and God seems far away and we get into the space, go back to the Gospels. Read about your Jesus. Remember who he is because that's how we remember who we are. 